Creating a marketing plan can be a daunting task. From what channels to use, to what kind of media to create, to who your target market even is, creating a plan that works can seem impossible. But it doesn't have to be. In this episode, I talk with the author of The One-Page Marketing Plan, Alan Dibb, where he talks about how to do just that. Create a detailed marketing plan that fits on just one piece of paper. Hey there, and welcome to Founderverse, a podcast for founders, entrepreneurs, self-starters, and creators. From Holstein Studios, I'm Tommy Holstein, and on this show, we talk with entrepreneurs from a variety of areas, hearing their stories of struggle and success, and learning new tips and strategies that will help you navigate the ever-changing landscape of entrepreneurship. Whether you're a first-time founder or a seasoned entrepreneur, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Alan Dib, how are you? Hey, Tommy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Alan, thank you so much for joining me in season two of Founderverse. We took a yeah, yeah we took a little break while uh, everything was happening with the coronavirus and whatnot. Um, but here we are for season two. I guess you're going to be episode one whenever this premieres. So I appreciate wow. you coming on, man. <laughs> Very good to be on, Tommy. Um, so I found you through your book, The One-Page Marketing Plan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was just from me browsing Amazon for marketing books to read. I never took an actual marketing course in college. Um, I, was, I was the creative end of things, content creation, video production, mm-hmm. things like that. So um, I believe like, like yourself, kind of a self-taught marketer. So you helped me a lot in that with your book. Um, so, so that, that's how I found you was, was through your book. So can you kind of give me an introduction to who you are? Um, tell us about the book, about success wise, your company and kind of how you got to where you are. Yeah. So the the book is called the one page marketing plan. It basically outlines um, a method that I created uh, called the one page marketing plan. No, no surprise there. Um, uh, I start, look, I started my business life as a dead broke IT geek. Um, I had my first business, which was an IT managed service provider. Um, and you know, I was struggling, I was struggling to get clients. I was good at what I did. Um, and I didn't understand why a guy who worked hard, did all the right things, had clients who liked him, um, had so much trouble getting clients. And so that really took me on a decade long journey to, to really learn and understand marketing. And I made all the uh, errors, uh, very expensive uh, errors. So, um, <laughs> so it was, uh, it's what I call expensive experience. And anyway, um, that took me on, on a long, 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 difficult, expensive journey. Um, and anyway, I came out the other side, um, having grown that business significantly and exited it for more money than I'd ever seen in my life, which was, which was a good result in the end. But, uh, I just felt it was too, too difficult, too hard. Um, why, you know, I studied um, in university as well. I was I dropped out, but I, so I didn't quite finish. But um, but nothing I learned in school or in university prepared me for entrepreneurship. And so um, my, my feeling was that um, it was just really the environment is really stacked against entrepreneurs. The the school system, both um, in university and 
in in school um, is really designed to create compliant employees. It's not mm. designed to create um, entrepreneurs. So, um, so really, um, from my perspective, when I started coaching uh, people, so this was several businesses later. Um, I, I grew another business from zero to four years later, being in the top 100 fastest growing companies in the country, and I exited that as well. But then I started coaching small business owners, and I wanted them to put together a marketing plan because I knew that would be something that would help them with their business growth and really help uh, propel them. Um, and I got a lot of pushback and resistance, you know, too hard, too difficult, don't know where to start, need to hire a consultant, all of that sort of thing. And so by necessity, I created a process called the one page marketing plan where literally in a single page, you could uh, create a sophisticated direct response marketing plan um, at within 20 to 30 minutes. And so um, I, my compliance rates with clients shot up. Um, people who'd never had a marketing plan ever in their lives now had a good comprehensive marketing plan. And so that's where the one page marketing plan was born. Um, the process was really, really successful with my clients and I wanted it to get out and get that process out to a larger audience. And that's what I did with my book um, with the same title. And yeah, that's, uh, that's where, what brings us here. <laughs> that's right. Well, it, it's done really well, man. It was one of my favorite reads of last year. Um, oh, I, I I picked up reading again in 2019. I hadn't read in, in years. Um, at the beginning of the year, I read uh, The Seven Habits by Stephen Covey. Co mm -hmm. Covey? Covey? Yep, yep. Um, and that pushed me on a journey to read like a bunch of nonfiction, self-help, marketing, business books, mm -hmm. um, things of that nature. And your book was in my top three picks from last year. So man, oh, wow. really well done. Um, oh, thank you very much. Of course. One of my favorite quotes, I think from, from your book, um, I have it written down here. I, I wrote it down when I read it and I, you know, it, it, it stuck with me. Um, the quote is systems allow mere mortals to run an extraordinary business. Um, mm. and I, I love that. So, yep. you know, and, systems are so important and, and you, and you talk about that. And essentially what your book is, is it walks you through how to create a marketing system. So that's exactly um, right. Right. So can you walk me through, uh, and can I walk the audience through what that system looks like? What the steps hmm. to the one page marketing plan is? Yeah. So, um, I, I'll come to the steps in a moment, but I, sure. I, I really want to, um, uh, emphasize that point about systems because, um, you know, products make you money, but systems make you a fortune. And that's been my experience with businesses that I've exited. And I've exited businesses at a far, far higher uh, multiple than was um, justified by just the revenue or just the customer base because we had those good systems. We had that intellectual property where someone acquiring us um, could apply those systems to their business and then have an exponential effect. And so then the discussion around uh, value of the acquisition or value of the business becomes a very different discussion than, hey, um, you're earning this much, we'll give you three times earnings or five times earnings or whatever whatever those standard multiples are. And so um, systems are something that make your business valuable to a prospective purchaser, but more importantly, they make the business valuable to you because it means you can take a holiday, you can hopefully you never get sick, but if you do get sick, you can take time off to get well. If you want to go for a, for a holiday, if you find a better opportunity and you want to step out of the business, all of those sorts of things. And that's why 
systems are absolutely critical to to your business they make your business valuable to a prospective purchaser and they make your business valuable to you which is really really important and so um, there are many different types of systems in a in a business but um, the one that we're focused on is the marketing system and the reason I focus on marketing so much is because it's a real leverage point uh, a lot of other things in in business will get you uh, incremental results and you should do them of course you know if you get better at negotiation or if you get better at people management or, or whatever those are all really good things but they can have an incremental effect whereas marketing has an exponential effect so if you get 10 percent better at marketing that can ha- add millions to the bottom line um, and so that's why I, I focus on marketing systems so much it's not that I don't think other systems are valuable but it's really the biggest leverage point I've found in a business so um, th- that's that's the value of marketing systems and, and why you should really focus on, on putting those in, in place in your business. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, systems in general, like you said, Oh, you're fine. Um, systems in general, like you said, I mean, I know McDonald's, for example, um, I think it's a million dollars to franchise a McDonald's mm. and it's because they've built a system that works so well. It's a money-making machine. That's, yeah. that, that just shows the, the value of creating systems in a business, something that's repeatable, scalable, and all those things. So, um, but yeah, um, so yeah, so as, as far as, as your marketing system, um, I know it, it's broken down into three phases, nine steps. So can you uh-huh. briefly explain what those are? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, three phases, nine steps. Um, if you, if you visualize, um, for people who are just listening in, um, if you visualize a single page uh, broken up into nine squares, so three blocks of three. Um, and so, uh, that's the one page marketing plan, uh, canvas essentially. Um, the first block of three is all about uh, what we call the before phase. Sometimes it's called the awareness phase. It's basically going from somebody not knowing that you exist to someone uh, putting their hand up and indicating interest. And so that encompasses three steps. So the first is um, selecting your target market. The second is mess- uh, good messaging to your target market. So messaging that really um, resonates with that target market and has them saying, hey, that that's for me. And then the third is your bridge between your target market and your messaging. And that's your media. How are you going to, to reach that target market? And so that's the awareness phase. And the goal of the awareness phase or the before phase um, is to have someone who doesn't know that you exist to put their hand up and indicate interest. And that might be um, anything like calling a calling your office. It might be opting in on your landing page. Um, it may be uh, clicking through to your ad, um, whatever, whatever that uh, is for you in your business. Um, it's someone going from not knowing that you exist to resonating with your message and then um, go, going through with carrying out an action to, to basically um, being aware of your business and indicating interest. And then, um, and then, so step two and three would be, um, it's like one being awareness or before two being during and then three being after, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we've got the before the during and the after, sometimes that's called uh, referred to as awareness, conversion, delivery. Um, it's, it's referred differently by other people. I like to just keep it simple and say before, during and after. So it's basically taking the customer through or the prospect through a journey uh, of uh, being aware of you. Then in 
phase two, which is the during phase, we take them through from awareness to conversion. So we, uh, we capture those leads. So uh, we nurture those leads and then we convert those leads. So um, basically we take someone from uh, just being vaguely interested in what you, you have to offer, they put their hand up and then um, they end up a paying customer. And many people feel that uh, marketing finishes there, right? So we've got someone who's signed up, someone who's now a paying customer. So marketing is done, right? Um, and um, I think that's very, very short-sighted. Really, the, the most of the money is made in the after phase. And so the, the after phase is where we take someone from being having done one transaction with you to becoming a raving fan. So someone who who is a raving fan, who does more business with you, who refers uh, new, new business to you as well. Um, and so the after phase consists of three steps. The first step is um, delivering a world-class experience. So it's creating those raving fans. It's being the thought leader to those uh, fans. It's uh, really uh, getting your, uh, your message and your opinion and being in, in front of them and entertaining them uh, to some extent. Then the next step is increasing customer lifetime value. So uh, how do we take someone from just buying from us um, once and get them to buy from us repeatedly to uh, ascend to higher levels of our programs or, or products or whatever we sell? Um, and then the third step is orchestrating and stimulating referrals and that and as I'm as that implies that's an active process it's not something that we kind of hope and pray for referrals which is what a lot of people do but it's we have a a process where we're actively orchestrating and stimulating those referrals so um, that really consists of the after phase and like I said that's really where the money is made because it's very expensive to acquire a, a, a client and uh, while as entrepreneurs we're really excited about getting new clients and you know trying new things and everything like that um, a lot of the money will be in in your existing customer base and your and your past uh, base Right. Yeah, man. I, I love the way that your system and your, your book in general, it, it gives you so much information, but it delivers it in such an easy way that anyone can understand it. Like someone who's totally new to the marketing world can read this book and understand really some complex, you know, ideas about marketing, but it's delivered in a way that it's easy to understand. and, And I love that. Um, well, I, I, I really wrote the book I wish I had when I was learning marketing. Um, and so, uh, you know, writing a book from that perspective, um, you can, you can really hit the mark with, um, you know, really, you, you don't have to know anything about marketing or business to, to read and understand the book. Um, and right. uh, I, I did that purposely because this is not a book written for marketers. And it's, I, I've seen that as a criticism. People have said this book is too basic and all of this. And this book is not written for marketers. This is not written for people who are already experts at direct response marketing or whatever, even though I think a lot of those people would benefit from the information Mm -hmm. in the book, but it's written for um, people who were like myself, who were running a business, 
who were, had a good product, had a good service, but frustrated, not sure how to get new clients, new, new people in the door. And so, like I said, I wrote the book that I wish I had at the, uh, at the time. And, and it's not a criticism on other books or anything like that. Um, I read many, many books at the time. I attended many seminars. I had coaches um, and all of those things uh, gave me a lot of value, but there was nothing that I was aware of that took me from zero from knowing nothing to really taking me through that whole journey and understanding direct response marketing in a sophisticated way um, holistically from start to end. And so that's what I wanted to do with this book to really take someone from knowing nothing at all about marketing. Literally we have a section in the Mm -hmm. book called the dead, the definition of marketing, right? We define what marketing actually is. So it really assumes nothing. um, And we, we go through that whole entire journey in a, in a single book. Yes, you do. Um, Alan, what do you think is the biggest step that people struggle with, whether it's a certain step of the nine or a certain phase, what do you think people struggle with the most? Yeah, a a lot of people struggle with messaging. So creating messaging that really lands with their target market. Um, And so um, uh, one of the things that we do from a messaging uh, perspective is really try to dive deep into the psychology of the target market. What is the person really buying? What is, what are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their desires? And especially if you haven't been part of your target market, um, this can be particularly difficult. So, for example, I've been part of my target market. So I know the feelings, the psychology, you know, being, you know, worried up at 3am in the morning, worried if I'm going to be able to make payroll the next week. Um, so I, I totally understand that I've been there. Um, and so I, I don't need, I don't need to do a lot of guessing, but if I was entering a brand new target market, that's when I would need to do a lot of research to really understand what other issues in their industry, what are the things that they're concerned about, what are the challenges they're facing, who are the competitors who are coming into the space, um, all of those sorts of things. And you want to enter that conversation that's going on in their mind already. So you want to be able to, um, you know, connect with what's, what's already happening in their industry uh, and connect, uh, use their language, use their jargon uh, and, you know, be someone who, uh, who, when they read that message message um, from you, they say, Hey, that's for me. I need that. Right. You're, you're speaking like them and they, you know, they, they see it and they say, Oh, that's, that's the exact problem I have, or that's exactly what I need. Like, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, there's something in the book that you call, um, random acts of marketing. So mm. you say a, a lot of businesses do this. Um, yes. I think myself, uh, I think I'm guilty of doing random yeah. acts of marketing. So it's something that, that I actively try to, um, try to help, especially with your plan. So can you explain what, random acts of marketing are and then what it means to market on purpose. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people do kind of random, random acts of marketing, which means um, they kind of just do weird random things. Uh, and it's not because they're, they're, um, uh, they're being silly or whatever. It's just like, they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're trying to, um, uh, they're trying to find something that works. So they're following the bright, shiny object. So uh, I'll give you an example. So for example, 
if I go to the market, of course, now we're in lockdown or whatever, markets are closed, but right. let's just say, we, you know, we go to the, the local market. If, if I ask the, um, the chicken guy what I should have for dinner, the chicken guy is going to say chicken, right? If I go to the beef guy, he's going to say beef. If I, if I go to the guy selling vegetables, he's going to say vegetables, right? So uh, in a very similar way, uh, people right now, um, they're getting advice from all sorts of people. The pay-per-click guy says you've got to do Google AdWords and the Facebook uh, social guy is saying you, you, need to do so, you need to do social, you need to do Facebook, you need to do Instagram. The direct uh, mail guy is saying you've got to do direct mail. And so people follow different gurus and different people who are experts at, at different areas and, of course, they're, they're getting adv- advice. And so it's very tempting to follow the latest bright, shiny object. So uh, I think... About a year ago, everyone was going on about, you know, you need to be on Snapchat. Now everyone needs to be on TikTok and all of this sort of right. stuff, right? Um, so, uh, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad, by the way. Sure, so you, sure. You know, so uh, that's all fine. But you really need to understand where does this fit into your overall marketing strategy and where does this fit into your plan? So if, if, you, if we're building a house, um, and I literally had this experience, um, I moved into this house about a, a year ago now, uh, but uh, and we spent about two years building it. But the, in the first six months, we sp- we spent that time with the architect, with the council. We were building the blueprint. We were putting together um, the uh, you know where is the pool going to go? Where is the lounge room going to be? Where's the balcony going to be? How's it going to be all set up? And you know where is it going to be on the plot of land and all, all of that sort of thing. So we built the house before we built it, right? So if we had have just said, okay, here, here's our land and let's just start laying bricks randomly and let's just dig a pool here randomly or whatever, um, would have been a disaster, right? And it's not legal and it's not really possible to do. So you've got to you've got to have the blueprint, you've got to have the plan, you've got to have, you've got to build the house before you build it. And so that's what I like to do from a marketing perspective as well is figure out, right, who is our ideal target market? And then what's the message thing that's going to land? And then let's figure out where do they live, so to speak. So are they, are they on TikTok? Are they on Instagram? Are they on uh, email or, or whatever else? So we figure all that stuff out and then we plug the tactical things in. That's then we say, Hey, okay, let's run a Google ads campaign or let's run a Facebook campaign or let's go get on Instagram and and so on and so forth. So uh, a lot of people start with tactics before they have the strategy. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of ends up with doing a lot of random kind of stuff. So really what I advocate is let's put together a plan. Let's figure out, what we need to do, why we need to do it, what the messaging is that's going to land. And then for sure, let's, let's, let's implement the, the tactical stuff. But too many people go to kind of the latest bright, shiny object and focus too much on the, on the tactical stuff without having that plan. Because um, often it's not, you know, people will say, Hey, I tried Facebook. It didn't work for, uh, for, for me. Um, and so um that that's not necessarily the fault of Facebook. It might be that your messaging didn't land. It might be that you were, you were reaching out to an audience that really wasn't an appropriate audience for you. So um, it would be naive to say, Hey, Facebook doesn't work for me or Google ads doesn't work for me or, or whatever else. It's, it's more likely to be your target market, your messaging or your offer. Those are the things that are not landing with your, with your audience. So, um, so that's really what I mean about, random acts of marketing. So let's not just do kind of random stuff. Let's really put together that blueprint before we build the house. 
Yeah, I think um, there's one example that I know for sure that I can think of where I'm guilty of doing random acts of marketing, right? So I had um, a representative from Yelp call me and Mm. she convinced me that spending money each month on Yelp ads were the way to grow my business. Mm. Uh, If I gave her X amount of much or X amount of money each month, then she'd get me one, two, three calls each day, which Mm. I did for like a week or two. And then I shut it off. Uh, mm-hmm. And then for a while, I was convinced that like, no, Yelp ads are not the way to go. But, you know, may- maybe it would have. Maybe it would have made sense for my business. Mm-hmm. But not only did I not give it enough time, I think, to even flesh out or like try different things, I I just jumped into it and then like without any plan. It didn't fit into any part of a marketing plan at all. It was just something where I was like, yep, this is what I should do. She's right. And yeah, it, it didn't work out for me because there was no plan there. It was just a tactic mm. that she convinced mm. me on rather than a strategy. Yeah. Um, and it's very common. Like uh, a lot of times you'll have a, a contact in an industry or a colleague or whatever who says, Hey, you've, you've got to get onto whatever, you know, the latest mm-hmm. platform or, or get onto this tactic or, or whatever. And it's not to say that the tactic is bad or, or anything like that, but um, again, it's got to fit into your uh, marketing plan and it's going to got to fit with your message, with your target market, with your offer. Right. So moving on a bit, um, step three uh, of the one page marketing plan in the mm-hmm. before phase is deciding on a medium that you want to use to reach your target market. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious what, your favorite medium is or um, maybe one or two mediums that you found to, to give you the most success or that, that you really like to, to hit. Yeah, look, um, uh, my favorite medium essentially is the medium that works. <laughs> um, so um, in my, personally, in my business, um, I use, I use email a lot. Um, so we do a lot of email marketing. Um, the website is the center of um of what we do as well. Um, and I think those two things, I, I think those two mediums would, would be valid and appropriate for probably the vast majority of, of businesses out there. So, um, so yeah, we're on other mediums. We are on Facebook, we are on Amazon, we are on uh, other places, but um, those two are near universal. So having a web website that is a lead capture website, um, having a CRM system and an email marketing system that um, continually captures and, and nurtures leads. Those things are, like I say, n- near universal, um, very, very important for um, creating um, that that nurturing campaign with potential uh, prospects. And the other thing that I like about um, a website and email is that you're the landlord, not the tenant. So um, on other platforms, so you know, some people I've seen who focus all their effort on an external platform like Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, they've got a big presence there or whatever. And again, nothing wrong with that. But the, the only thing is that you're not the owner of that um, platform, right? So right. Google, Google or Facebook is, and they can change the rules anytime and they have in the past and they continue to change the rules uh, all the time. You'll recall in the beginning, um, if, if someone liked your Facebook page, you could reach hundred percent of your audience. Then Facebook said, no, 
now you've got to pay to boost posts, yep. even to people who are, who have liked your page and you can still only reach a percentage of them. Google came out with the Google slap, right? You used to be able to buy uh, clicks at a very, very low rate. Then I almost overnight, um, they 10 X the, the cost of some clicks and, and, campaigns that were profitable weren't no longer profitable. Mm. So, so I'm not saying don't use external platforms, but um, you want to be as much as possible the landlord rather than the tenant. So no matter what Google or Facebook or any other company does, I own my email list and I'm able to reach my audience through, through email. Now, yes, I'm building audiences on other platforms as well. Um, I am building an audience on Facebook. I am building an audience on Instagram and all of that, but uh, my central asset is my website and my email list. And that's where I really drive the bulk of my traffic and where I get the bulk of my engagement. And so um, uh, the other thing is I'm not single source dependent. So if, for whatever reason, Facebook no longer likes what I'm doing and they shut my page down or whatever. Um, I, I'm not going to go out of business. Whereas a lot of people are really highly dependent on a single source. They're fully in on Facebook or they're fully in on Google or, or whatever platform. And so um, a change or a, or, or something like that can impact them very, very negatively. So um, it's very important not to be single source dependent with your media. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot, how with email, especially you own that domain, like you, you own your email list and that can't be taken away from you. That's mm. admittedly something I've never tapped into. I've never created an email newsletter or um, an email list where I send emails out to, I mean, I, I have like email campaigns as far as like, like lead generation, but I don't yeah. have an actual like, newsletter that I send out. Um, so obviously I, I should create one. <laughs> um, yeah. If I were to create one, how, how often should I be reaching out to people? Um, what kind of things do you like to, to tell your audience or um, what kind of things do you use your, your email list for? Yeah. So I, I really use my email list at 90% to give value. So basically just to create that connection with your audience, because uh, whether it's a physical newsletter or an email newsletter, um, 80% of its value is you showing up regularly in their lives. And so um, I've seen where many, where people sometimes will just spam a lot. So they will just send a lot of spam um, so or, or offers or whatever. Hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. That's not what I mean by uh, an email a newsletter or an email campaign. So yes, it's okay. Uh, we do use it commercially. We do uh, make offers from time to time, but the vast the vast majority of emails that go out, um, they may have a commercial message or a commercial undertone, but they're usually uh, very high value. So uh, I have a rule that my free content should be better than other people's paid content. And so that's mm. the way I treat it. I treat it like a product. I treat it like if I was selling, if someone was paying to be part of my um email uh, subscription, um, what, what kind of content would I be sending them? So, uh, I, I send, um, I, I send story form e emails. I send emails that are, that are going to help them get a result. So going to help them take them from a worse condition to a better condition, essentially. So that's really what I focus on. I have pretty long form emails uh, as well. So I like to keep them in, 
in the application that they're using. So a lot of people will click off to another landing page or a blog or whatever. And again, that's an approach that can work as well. But um, I think it's simpler if um, they stay in their email app, they can read the email. My emails are pretty plainly formatted. So I don't have a lot of branding and graphics and things like that. Because again, I think that that kind of triggers in in the person's mind, hey, this is a promotional email. Whereas, you know, if a friend or relative was sending Mm. me an email, it'd be just plain text usually so so i like to i like to do that the emails are personal so they come from me they don't come from info at or sales at or whatever they come from my personal email address so again it adds that that personal touch so um i I write that even though the emails might be going out to ten tens of thousands of people i write them like i'm writing them to one person so um, so that that would be some of my tips around email marketing that's interesting how you say that you don't like to use like graphics or things like that, but mm. it makes sense, right? Like, you know, mm. I, I think I, I would have thought initially like, like you should beef it up, have like these mm. fancy graphics and, and all that. But you know, you're absolutely right. When I see something like that, oftentimes I'm like, Oh, this is a, this is an ad or, or mm. something like that. Yeah. So that's a good point to, to just kind of understand what the consumer, what your audience is going to see and how they're going to perceive it rather than what you want them to perceive. Exactly. I like that. So, um, so often we're using these things to, um, you know, email lists or, or whatever to generate leads for salespeople and and all that. So in, in your book, you talk a bit about sales, obviously marketing and sales overlap a ton. Um, in your book, you say that, uh, 50% of salespeople give up after the first contact, right? Mm. And then 80% after the third. Yeah. Why do you think so many salespeople will give up so, so quickly? Um, and then what should we be doing to properly nurture our leads once they're in, once they're, once they're in? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, I think one of the, and I don't expand on this in, in the book very much, but I'll, um, uh, I certainly will in my follow-up book, but um, uh, I think a lot of what people do in sales is kind of, they behave in a weird manner that they wouldn't behave in real life. So let me give you an example. So, um, so they put a lot, a lot of pressure. So they're following up They're they're pushing, pushing, pushing. And um, the natural tendency, if I, come and push you, your natural tendency will be to push back, right? And that's exactly what happens in most sales situations. It's an adversarial approach. It's like um, me pushing you, you pushing back, or, or you trying to avoid me or whatever. And so when you do weird stuff, it feels weird to you, right? So it's not not a natural human instinct to kind of be putting pressure on someone, to kind of be pushing, to be doing all of that sort of stuff. And if on the recipient's end, it feels weird too. And so, so then you've got two people kind of carrying on in a weird manner. And so a lot of people, salespeople wonder, hang on, uh, why am I now getting the silent treatment? Why is someone not returning my call? Why is someone not responding to my emails and things like that? And that's because you've created a situation where there's pressure. It's an adversarial situation. And so you've created a situation where there's pressure. And when, when you've done that, people are going to do weird stuff. So people are going to avoid your phone calls. People are going to not respond to your emails because 
Nobody wants to be in a situation where, where there's pressure. And so what you want to do in a sales situation is diffuse pressure. You want to make sure that you're getting rid of pressure and you're creating a safe environment for someone to be able to tell you the truth. You know, so a lot, a lot of prospects will say something like, look, I need to think about it or I'll get back to you or send me more information. And it's just kind of a nice way of saying, go away. You know, uh, I'm not, a, I don't want to get more pressure from you. So um, your goal is to be uh, someone who diffuses pressure and if you diffuse pressure, that'll make it much easier for you to get to the truth. So too many times in sales training, we're taught overcome objections, you know, follow up, follow up, follow up, all of that sort of st stuff. And that's kind of, it feels weird. Like if I had to wake up in the morning and make 20 cold calls and put pressure on people, of course I would probably only do one or two follow-ups because it feels weird. Like we don't, I don't want to be doing that, this and the person on the receiving end doesn't want, want that either. So really as part of the sales process, you, you need to be someone who's diffusing pressure, getting to the truth and then becoming a, a trusted advisor who's solving a problem, not a, not a pitch person. So that, that's really what we want to do in a sales situation um, and really forget about all the old sales training stuff where that they tell you, you know, overcome objections and follow up, follow up, follow up. And I'm not saying following up is, is wrong, but um, right. again, you, you've, you've got to do it in a way where you're not creating a situation that has pressure because once you've created pressure in the situation, that's when weird stuff is going to happen when they're not going to return phone calls, when they're not going to respond to emails, when, when they're not going to proceed and, and so on and so forth. So you, you really need to make it, make a safe environment for someone to be able to say, look, um, I don't have the budget or, uh, or, um, or yes, I'm interested, but you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to wait three months for whatever to happen or, right. um, uh, or I'm concerned about that. It's not going to do this or, or that because, a lot of people will try to mold their product or service to, you know, whether it's a good fit for the prospect or not, they're going to say, yep. Yeah, of course I can help you. Yes. Well, I'll send you more information. Yes, it does this and, and all of that sort of thing. And so really part of what you want to do in the sales process is determine, is there really a good fit here? Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes you, you just have to walk away and you say, look, honestly, I don't think there's a good fit here. You'd probably be better served with, ABC um, uh, solution. So that's really, really important. And I think that's where people go wrong a lot in the sales process is they create that, that pressure. I love that. How do you, how do you kind of relieve that pressure is, are there certain things that you do in like, like your email list um, yep. that has commonly relieved that pressure off of the prospect? Yeah. Look, look, when I'm speaking to someone, uh, I, I basically go into discovery mode. In fact, um, when someone books, a, a call with me, a, a essentially a sales call, it's, it's a discovery call. And I view myself as a doctor who's there to, to diagnose. And so when you go to a doctor, I mean, if you showed it up at a doctor and he said, and before you said a single word, he said, this is the medication you need, go buy this. You'd, you'd be like, hang on, you, you don't even know anything about my situation. I haven't told you my symptoms or anything like that. You'd be, you'd be where you'd be beware of the doctor that doesn't ask any questions. Right. So, um, so really when you go to a doctor, um, he's going to ask a lot of questions. He's saying, okay, where does it hurt? Is it, 
a sharp stabbing pain or is it a, a dull pain? You know, is it, you know, tell me more about it. Okay. What happens when I twist it like this and that? And so the, uh, what you find is the doctor's asking a lot of questions and you're, you're answering those questions. And that's what I find is the best form of a sales call where the prospect is doing most of the talking and you're asking probing deep questions. So you're, you're, you know, a, a lot of what you'll be saying is something like, tell me more about that. And so, and so, you know, you know, going, going deeper and, and really getting to the, to the truth of the situation. And then if you find out it's not a good fit, you've got to be ethical enough to say, look, from what you've told me, it sounds like when we may not be an ideal fit for each other or, or conversely, um, it, it may be a really good fit. And in which case that will come out of the discovery process. I, I, I almost wait, well, I do wait for the prospect to basically finish with, um, saying, Hey, um, tell me, tell me about your solution. So rarely will I tell someone about a solution that I've got or a product that I've got if I'm not invited to do so. So, um, oh. So that greatly relieves the the pressure. So if we're if we're on a call and I'm diagnosing diagnosing and you're telling me about your situation and I'm d- probing deeper and deeper and then we're finally going to get to to a situation where you'll say you'll have told me everything I, I need to know and now I understand your situation very well and it'll come to a natural point where you'll say okay so so what do you guys do? What, what do you do? What's your approach to, to fixing this? And, and that's, that's when I, I might come in with a solution or where I might come in and say, look, it doesn't sound like we're a great fit for each other. Or, or I would say, look, I think I've got the perfect um, solution. Um, it sounds like a really, really good fit. And this is how, how it works. So that's a very, very low pressure sales call, but it's very, very effective as well because um, I'm not doing anything weird. I'm not even talking most of the time. I'm, prob- I'm just asking questions. 10% of the time you're doing 90% of the talking. And, um, and, and so that, that's a situation where you can have a very low pressure uh, sales call. Everybody's free to kind of say what, what they need to say. And we can get to the truth of the situation. We can find out what, what is your real situation and, and how can I understand that better? I really like that. Like you're, you're a doctor who's diagnosing in a, a problem exactly, and, and you're, you're, you're probing for, for what that problem is. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to all the sales calls that I've received. Right. So I, Mm. I really like to entertain any sales call that I get, like Mm -hmm. like just a cold call just to see kind of how they do it. So I can learn a bit. And they all, they almost always start with, hi, this is name I'm from company and right. what we do, what we do is and then they they start hitting you with a pitch and that's kind of that's creating pressure that's adversarial that's like you know hey you don't even know anything about me you don't even know what what my situation is and you're already right. pitching me yeah earlier i i spoke about about yelp and how i i you know mm. they they sold me right mm. and i'm i'm thinking back to that call i i remember it so well she the first thing she did was she asked me, okay, tell me about you. Tell me about your business. Tell me about this and this. And I remember talking to her for maybe an hour long, just telling her all these things about my business. And that's almost definitely what got me to buy because, you know, she got me talking and got me interested in, in what she was offering just because she invited me to talk for so long. So that's a really good, really good tip. I think for business owners everywhere. Yep. For sure. Um, so Alan, at this point, it's, 
it's 2020. Your book came out in 2018, I believe. Um, yeah, the, sec- the second edition came out in 2018. Oh, yes. the second edition. When did the first yeah. edition come out? Uh, the first edition was 2016, uh, second okay. edition 2018, and I'm looking forward to launching the next book in um, uh, next year, so uh, in 2021. What, what will this book be? Um, it'll be a, a continuation of this book, but really diving into implementation. So really, um, so this one was all about uh, planning and we, we did have some implementation in this book, but it's really, okay, great. You've got net, you've now got a plan. Let, let's, let's implement that plan. Well, that dives into really nicely my question. I think um, it's been two years now since the second edition came out. Um, is there anything that you can think of um Maybe it's the, the entire next book, but anything really you can think of that after having written the book um, that you would add now, now, now in 2020 that you'd add to um, the one page. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's a, there's a lot that we covered in that book. Like it's uh, like, it's a book that covered a lot and that we can deep dive into a lot of areas. Um, and so um, I would definitely add things about uh, building a team. So I, I, I very, uh, very briefly skim that in the book about team, about a lot of the stuff that we talked about with sales right now. So I would definitely cover that in a lot more, more detail. Um, I would go a lot more into tactical things as well. Um, so, um, and that's what, what I'm planning to do. It was appropriate for that book to kind of, um, just skim those uh, topics because they are very deep topics, but um, I wanted to create a book that's holistic that can take you from start to end and without kind of diverting into um, particular tactical implementation and things like that. Um, but I, I think uh, in the next book, um, I'm going to go a lot deeper into some of these smaller things, but that have a, a big uh, impact in a business. And you're telling me I have to wait till 2021 to get my hands on that, man. Come on. Well, well I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> well, a lot of it's covered in a, uh, in a course that I've got. So I've got a course based on the one page marketing plan. So you can actually get a lot of that stuff today, but in book form, yes, it's going to be 2021. <laughs> well, please go ahead and send me those links. I, I'd love to, you know, sh- share those links out and um, for sure. perhaps take advantage of that myself, man. For sure. For sure. Um, well, we're, we're wrapping up here. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I know, I know you got a hard stop here soon. So, um, I want to thank you first, uh, again for writing this book. It really did have a huge impact on me and my business. And thank you so much. Just, just the way that I think about marketing and, and talking to, you know, my, my prospects or, um, or doing all of these things. So, um, before we go, Alan, what is one piece of knowledge um, or advice that you would give um, give somebody out of all the information in the book, one piece of information that you can give someone that will help them uh, market better, market yeah. their business better? Yeah, the, the one thing I want to leave people with is um, something that a mentor taught me. Um, and he, he said to me, uh, you know, I, I was telling him about uh, – my IT business, I was telling him about how my product was awesome and, you know, my competitors were doing better than me, which was hugely frustrating to me. There's nothing more frustrating than when you know you've got a better product, but your competitors are doing better than you. And he said something to me that really stuck with me for, for my whole life ever since is he says, when does someone know that you've got a better product or service? And I said, well, obviously when they buy from, from me and he said, well, before they buy, they only know how good your marketing is. So 
uh, it's only after that they buy. So you've got to become an excellent marketer. So, and then he sort of proceeded and he said, the best marketer wins every time. And I found that to be true. I wish that the best product or service automatically won in the marketplace. That'd make life a lot easier, but we know that that's not the case. Unfortunately, it's really the best marketer who wins every time. It's not the best product, not the best service, not the most deserving people. Um, you know, so unfortunately uh, that's, that's the reality. And so the best marketer wins every time. So that's what I want to leave people with is you need to become the best marketer in your niche, whatever, whatever that is. So become that really good marketer. Um, and that that's going to make all the difference. I love it. Thank you for that, Alan. Um, Alan, where can people find you online? Where can they buy the book? Uh, all those things. Yep. So the book can be bought wherever books are sold on, um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's uh, it's very strong on audio. So it's on audible. So if uh, people like listening to podcasts and things like that, you can certainly grab it on, on audible. Um, you can grab a copy of the one page marketing plan canvas for free on my website, which is successwise.com. You can join my mailing list and, um, uh, carry on the conversation. So I'd love to connect with some of your listeners. All right, Alan, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Founderverse. You can support the show by sharing this episode with a friend or by subscribing on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.